This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you, so we're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some killer free ebooks, drills, and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, and especially at our live programs here in LA, check out the toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. We've got a lot of fundamentals there. So body language, nonverbal communication, eye contact, vocal tonality, business networking, negotiation, dating, attraction, a lot of stuff that's more important than you might think. And we have our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, or you can just email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything. Today we're talking with Christine Hassler. We're gonna talk about how to bounce back after getting your ass handed to you, how to process negative emotions in a healthy way, and getting out of your own way and growing into your full potential emotionally and, and otherwise for that matter. So enjoy this one with Christine Hassler. You worked really hard, you had a Hollywood career. Tell us what you were doing and then tell us how, how it all fell apart. Okay, so I actually think I probably started my career in fourth grade because that's when uh, I started being bullied and teased a lot and some girls started the I Hate Christine Club and I decided at that moment that in order to compensate for the vast insecurity I felt, I had to become like a super successful overachiever. So I think at the age of eight, I had fantasies about what I would do in the world and I ended up going to college in Chicago and majoring in TV and film and ex wanting a career in Hollywood because I truly think that all insecure people go to Hollywood at some yes, time in their I, life. Having lived there, I would have fully agree with you. It's like the land of insecurity and expectation hangovers. So I moved out here with a, a lot of insecurity, but a lot of drive to compensate for that and work my way up the entertainment ladder and became the youngest ever female agent. And by the time I was like 25 years old, I was making six figures. I had my fancy office in Beverly Hills and an assistant, and I was dating the head of a movie studio. So I was going to Oscars and Golden Globes and private jets to Sundance and, you know, wow. the bags. And I, if, yeah, it was, it was actually quite fun. But what was so frustrating about it is that, well, two things. Way to talk everyone out of going to Hollywood, by the way. <laughs> Achieved tons of success early on beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> yeah, and then it all comes crashing down around you. Okay, let's wait for that then. Yeah, let's wait for that. So the thing about it is externally I had it all. And no matter what box I checked off my list, internally I was never fulfilled. Like that gaping hole inside of me of insecurity and self-doubt and incessant self-criticism so like if anyone out there is really hard on themselves and tries to motivate themselves by being hard on themselves, you're, you're my people because that's the way I drove myself. So that combined with always having to raise the bar, like I consistently lived in when then. When I get promoted, then I'll be happier. When, you know, this person is my boyfriend, then I'll feel confident about myself or whatever. So I was never in the moment. I was always living in the future. And 
no matter how successful I got, I just kept getting more and more miserable, um, even depressed. And there reached a point in my career where I was literally riding up the elevator one day. Um, and the woman who was like the head top machismo agent at the company was in the elevator with me. And she was talking to another person. I think it was her assistant. And she said, oh, my baby just said her first word. And the other person said, what was it? And she said it was Ola because she's with the nanny more than me. Oh, bam. I was like, bam. And it was, it hit me in two ways. One, like, wow, like if I'm going to be a mother, like, is that my life? But really what hit me was that she said it without any emotion. It was like what she had for lunch. And what I realized about myself is that I didn't recognize myself. I was becoming hard and cold and distant. And part of me as a woman in that business where I got sexually harassed a lot needed to be that. But that wasn't really who I was. And I just didn't recognize myself anymore. So the combination of, of kind of being not happy with the job and also knowing that just because I was really good at it, doesn't necessarily mean that I liked it. Like I was really good at being an agent. I was really good at sales. I was really good at like doing the networking and the schmoozing and all that kind of stuff. But I I didn't love it. You know, it was a great skill set of mine that I developed, but I didn't love it. And I was just left with this feeling of, oh, shoot, like what am I going to do? And I, the only answer that I could find was just to, just to quit because I didn't know what else to do. And to make a long story shorter, uh, in a period of a year, I resigned from my job, went into even more of a depression because I my whole identity was wrapped up in my career. So when I didn't have a big fancy career and business card, I didn't really know who I was. Mm-hmm. I went into tons of debt um, because I tried to keep up my lifestyle without my paycheck and expense Ouch. account. Yeah, that works. That does yep. not work. That does not work. I got diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. I was estranged from my family for a year. I got engaged. And then six months before the wedding, he called it off cold turkey. So within a year, I lost my career, which was my identity, my money, my health, my family, and love. So needless to say, it was my version of an expectation hangover and a quarter-life crisis. And that ended up being the turning point in my life where a very profound like bathroom floor moment when I was contemplating, do I even want to be here anymore? And be here like on earth or be here in Hollywood? Be here like on earth. Ouch. And I realize like my story, people have been through much worse. Um, but I think when we're looking at our lives, we have to look at things through our own lens. Well, and- yeah. I mean, I'm looking at my email inbox and I'm like, let it stop. And meanwhile, there's people with real problems all around me. <laughs> well, email is a real problem. Let's face it. I mean, email is a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> Your own lens, Christine. Your own lens. Exactly. Um, but, you know. For me, it was uh, it was pretty low. It was pretty low. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I think we all have wake-up calls in different ways. Some of us get a wake-up call in a graceful way. Some of us need a massive two-by-four to hit us on the head. And I was one of those people that needed a massive two-by-four to go, Christine, this sort of outside-in life that you're chasing is not working for you. It's just not. And, um, that, that, do I want to be here moment actually led to kind of an epiphany. Um, it was, it was a very actually profound spiritual moment. And I wasn't really spiritual at the time where I had the, you know, the cliche, everything's happening for a reason. Yeah. 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 And like when people say that to you and you're in it, you just want to punch them because you're like, well, I don't know the reason, but it was different this time. Like I had like a, like a deep knowing that there was a reason for this and, 
I had this feeling of peacefulness and love and happiness on the inside that I'd been chasing on the outside kind of wash over me. And it only lasted a moment, but it was long enough to wake me up. And I I still had an agent in me. And like I said, because I wasn't really spiritual at the time, I really didn't know how to pray, but I knew how to make deals. So I said, all right, whatever that was, whatever higher power, if I figure my way out of this, I will dedicate my life to helping other people. And no joke, the next day or maybe a day or two after the idea for my first book just started pouring in, just poured in. And I just wrote that first book and that's what launched me on the path that I'm on now. Awesome. So what did you do right after you got up off the bathroom floor? I mean, first of all, what were you thinking? Were you like, I can take a lot of pills or I can just figure this shit out? I mean, how was that thought process for you? The thought process was I started to contemplate it and that contemplation of like, how could I do it? Um, led me to like, led me to kind of a dark place that then led to the like, no, this is not your direction. Like something came over me that was like, no, this is not the end of your story. This is not the direction to go. It's like, I I truly believe that we have our ego in our mind, right? And then we also have our higher self, you know, a part of us that's super tapped in and has tons of wisdom and is really always out for our highest good. And it's like that part of me stopped me from going too far down that train. And it also, like I realized in that moment how I think, and this is natural, I think we become really narcissistic when we're wrapped up in our own problems. And I sort of lost perspective of not only how grateful I was in so many ways, but I lost perspective of my capabilities and my human spirit that could get me out of that. You know, so it was just really getting on a different train of thought is what it boiled down to. Great. Okay. And so how do you advise other people who are currently on their bathroom floor listening to this podcast, maybe literally or metaphorically, how do you advise them to sort of jump into that same process? Because there's a lot of people who just go, okay, screw it, everything's over, my life sucks. Yeah. Well, first get off your bathroom floor because they're disgusting. Like, I don't know why we go to Especially in Hollywood, I can only imagine. Yeah, in Hollywood, like old apartments, they're small. Anyway, yeah, get off, literally and, and figuratively get off your bathroom floor. I mean, well, this is what I'm so passionate about. And this is, you know, what the essence of my my latest book, Expectation Hangover, is really about. I actually get excited when people are, are in those bathroom floor moments, which is basically disappointment, you know, things not going your way or life throwing you an unexpected curveball. Because from my own life and working with, gosh, thousands of people at this point, Within every disappointment is a doorway to profound transformation. And I believe that we grow the most through struggle. You know, as a coach, people don't come to me and and say, oh, my life's really awesome. I just want to like be more awesome. (laughs) There's usually some kind of problem that they want to fix. So know within every problem is the potential solution. That's the first part is to you don't have to love what's happening. You don't have to, you know, positive pep talk your way out of it. I actually think that's a coping strategy that doesn't work because our mind doesn't believe it when we try to go from bathroom floor to I'm the most amazing people in the universe and everything's working out great. We have to get to a more neutral place of acceptance of going, all right, this isn't my dream. This isn't what I want, but I'm willing to accept it. I'm willing to learn from it and stop asking why is this happening? But what can I learn from this experience? Perfect. That's the key question to ask first is what can I learn? All right. I mean, leveraging disappointment is important because obviously looking at those downtimes, that's where you really, it's like galvanization, right? Where you go through such a hot fire, it removes some of the weakness. But you also don't want to be like the stone cold bitch after you get out of that. 
Um, and you, you, you said it yourself, and I think this is either on a book flap, if not, it should be, but basically, you can't really step into your full potential, get on purpose, your purpose, until you've really done some internal investigation. And for most of us, that requires getting your ass handed to you. It really does. It requires going, I mean, it's like the hero's journey. It requires going through the storm. And the first part of that is often the emotional level of it. And I feel like in a lot of the transformational personal growth industry, like it's all been about changing your thoughts and changing your behavior and meditating your way out of it. And and I believe in all that, like the mental, behavioral, spiritual treatment plans are like the second, third, fourth section of the treatment plan in the book. But the first one is the emotional level because we are human and we have emotions about these things, but we're never taught from a young age how to process them in a really healthy way. So they move up and out and they, they aren't in our way anymore because emotion that's not processed, anger, fear, doubt, shame, all of that kind of stuff, sadness, grief we end up kind of recreating circumstances that give us an opportunity to process it. So like, okay, can you give us an example of that? Yeah. So, okay. Let's say you're, um, you get your heart broken in a relationship, right? And you don't really deal with it. You're just like on to the next one and, you know, go and date someone else without really dealing with the grief. It's like that grief is going to carry over into the next relationship in that either your heart will be a little closed still, right? Cause you're still wounded so you won't necessarily let that person all the way in or you'll do something to sabotage it and, and have it not work out. Or because, again, your soul is trying to learn, that relationship will end too. You'll experience another heartbreak and like have another chance to process the grief. I, I call it a do-over. And I'm not saying that we have to sit and spin in our emotions because the problem with most of us is since we aren't taught how to deal with emotions in a healthy way, we identify with them rather than release them. So we become victims we indulge in them. We let them become more powerful than our thoughts. And the key thing is we don't have compassion. We, we then judge ourselves for being emotional. So that's why it's so important to like honor your human experience. Like when disappointment first hits, you, you have a breakup, your business fails, whatever it is, to like honor your feelings about it first, process them. And then it's like you clear the space to start changing your thoughts, changing your behavior, and also connecting to a higher power. Okay. Excellent. I want to break that down a little bit, though, because that's a lot. You're used to talking about this. We're not used to hearing about this, as you know. <laughs> so that, let's talk about some coping strategies that a lot of people do. And you mentioned one earlier, just jumping from relationship to relationship. It's almost like you did live in Hollywood. Um, and <laughs> stuff that people do that doesn't work. Let's talk about stuff that doesn't work, because there's a lot of it, and most of us are guilty of doing it at one point or another, whether we recognize it or not. And unfortunately, a lot of us are still doing that crap to ourselves. Yes, we are. All right, so a few of them. Distracting yourself. That's a big one. Like, I'm going to distract myself with work, or I'm going to like get into another relationship, or just not pay attention to it. That's a big one. Numbing the pain. So overeating, over drinking, over shopping, over gambling, overworking can be another one. So any kind of overing that gets us to a point where we're basically not feeling anything at all is is another way that that is a temporary band-aid but doesn't work. Um, here's one that people apply a lot that gets a lot of like kudos, but to me is a red flag. Being strong, you know, just like plowing through it, being strong, being like nothing affects me, nothing's going to get me down. And it's sort of adopting this superhuman approach rather than being authentic and being real. 
because I, I love the work that Brene Brown has done in relation to vulnerability. And it's like we're realizing as human beings that being vulnerable, being authentic is actually way more powerful than putting on this front and putting on this mask and being strong. Um, one that I've kind of mentioned already is pep talking our way out of it, like the positive affirmation of I'm like amazing and this is all going to work out. It's all going to be fine. I don't get me wrong. I totally believe in positive thinking. That's a really important part of my life and my practice, especially being a recovering self-abuser in my self-talk. However, when we're in, when we're really, really super low, the unconscious mind, which is responsible for like 90 to 95% of our programming, needs to believe what we're saying. And if we're like on our bathroom floor thinking we suck and we try to make ourselves believe that we're most, the most amazing person, there's some people that there's some part of us that doesn't believe it. So instead, a more effective thing to believe is I'm doing the best I can. It's all going to be okay. Things like that that are more neutral than like this cheerleader approach. And then the final thing, and, and this is something I see a lot, especially in the transformational industry, is, is what's called spiritual bypass and like trying to jump to the silver lining and, you know, the good stuff and all that, like before you really ask that very important question, okay, hey, wait a second, what am I learning from this? Even though this hurts, there may be something super valuable that's coming up for me to heal. Like going back to the heartbreak thing, you know, let's say, um, for example, you're breaking up because the person cheated on you. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, chances are there's something even deeper there for you to heal. Did one of your parents cheat on each other? Have you cheated in the past? Like usually it's triggering something that's coming up for you to finally resolve so you don't have to keep experiencing the same kind of expectation hangover over and over again. Ah, so you can see the patterns that you can try to see the patterns that you're creating for yourself and how they're creating the same expectation hangover for you. Exactly. And I'm going to give some like context that may kind of help. So from my perspective, like life is one big school. And we're all here to learn. And we're here to like have relationships and awesome careers and making meaningful impact and everything like that. And we're really here to like realize there's nothing wrong with us, to realize like we are love, to realize we're all connected, we're all one. And we know that when we're born, but then we forget because stuff happens. You know, we hear stuff, we see stuff, we have trauma, like whatever it may be. And we sort of get disconnected from like the truth of our soul and we get more run by our ego and like stack all these issues and stories and kind of carry them around in a heavy backpack. So to me, an expectation hangover is a really great opportunity to unpack that backpack and go, okay, what issues am I still lugging around? What limiting beliefs am I still carrying? What story am I telling myself about me and the world that really needs to be updated? How do we start to notice those things? Because having patterns and then noticing patterns obviously is, is tougher than, it's kind of like saying, okay, notice everything. You're yeah. not going to, you can't do that. You can't notice everything. Even if you tell yourself every five minutes to notice everything, your brain can't focus on our, in things that are invisible by nature. And these things are, of course, detectable, but how do we start to do that before we're on the floor? Well, again, there's nothing like an expectation hangover to wake it up, but a, a couple of ways we can start to do that. And I these are all tools in the book and I'll share a couple of them. Um, so one thing that I have clients and people that read the book do is a backwards timeline of your life where you timeline out your life and you write down significant events that you remember, like parents divorce, moved, broke my leg, got my heart broken, like all these kinds of things. And then you look at all those events and you start to write down the beliefs you might have chosen to start believing at that time. You know, mom and dad got divorced. Relationships don't work might be a belief. Got my heart broken. Uh, I'm not worthy of love, whatever it is. And 
what is really remarkable to me, and, and again, this is from a decade of working with myself as my best client and so many people, is that we have so much wisdom inside of us. And really, it's just about setting the intention and creating the space to do this kind of investigation. What stops people from doing it or gets them hung up, they stay too much in judgment and analysis. I think that's what trips us up more than anything. So one thing that I really teach is becoming a scientist of your life and an observer of your life rather than the constant judger uh, and making meaning out of everything. Because we start to do this kind of work, we start to ask ourselves these questions, we start to examine these patterns, but then there's this part of us that is like, oh, am I broken forever? Is this even fixable? And we start to kind of go down this train of judgment and self-analysis instead of just putting it out on paper, looking at what our beliefs are and how they're affecting us. So the next step after looking at the beliefs is to really ask yourself, okay, what's the cost of believing that belief and what's the payoff of believing that belief? And then as we start to get aware of what our beliefs are and how those have constructed our story, then we can consciously start to create another story. And we can actually do that by understanding that our brain is completely malleable. Our, like our brain is like a muscle, just like you'd go to the gym and work out your biceps. You can actually rewire and change your brain. Right. There's just no good analogy for the brain. But there you is can no good it. analogy, but you're right. It's not like a muscle. You can't only make it bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Mine has a lot of room for growth. Mine's really tiny. But you can change the, the neural netways, yes. the neural pathways. Yeah, well, it's, it's a habits, right? Like it's just that they're more complex tougher to spot habits. I know I was on this like, not a game show, but kind of like a reality TV show. And I <laughs> I was a coach on there, like a co-host. And we were evaluating these people who were on dates and reading body language and stuff. And this one girl, she came in and her intake was all, I just want to meet a nice guy because all the guys I date are jerks. And like, I'm just ready for a change. And then we had the contestants were like a really nice guy, successful a total jerk meathead who literally was a jerk in real life, so much so that he didn't know I was a co-host and I brought liquor in for everybody because we were having like a, a rap for the first part and then he came for the second part and he's like, why don't you make me a drink there, like little man or something like, he started treating me like really poorly and, and then later on I got to skewer him on camera which is amazing and awesome. very very petty and very amazing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you know, it was funny because she picked that guy and she, we were like, what are you doing? And then the, in a cruel and yet not so surprising twist, she ends up dumping that guy and like messing, like going and finding some other guy in the middle of their date. And then in a weirder twist, that same guy, that jerky guy turns around and he's like, man, this always happens to me. You know, what's wrong with me? And I was like, you people are a mess. Yep. Yep. And, and they're, it's like where they're creating it, right? They don't even realize yes, how their belief systems are. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, like I was, um, working with a client of mine and he's really working hard on his business. And we were talking and like, I just kept hearing him say, you know, I just have to work really hard. I have to work really hard. Like making money is really hard to make. And I'm like, do you know how many times you've said you have to work really hard to do this? Like, how do you know that's true? how do you know it's true? You have to work really, really hard. And he's like, if I'm not working 12 hours a day, I know I'm not working hard enough. Oh yeah. And I'm like, where did that belief come from? You know? And he's like, well, my, my dad was yeah. totally military and like, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, really, I don't believe everything I think, you know? Mm -hmm. So nobody, nobody does. Yeah. Challenge what you're believe, what you're thinking, challenge your thinking and be like, is this a thought that's really going to get me to where I want to go? Or is this a thought that may get me to where I want to go, but it's going to be a lot harder how about a thought that really supports how I want to feel and what I create? 
for example, you just said you don't believe everything that you think. But for a lot of people, and myself included, until I figuratively built a box for this, a compartment for this in my brain, is when you have a thought that doesn't match your beliefs, our brains don't really know what to do with that. So we go, oh, that must be the way things are, or that must be a belief. But if you can have thoughts and then separate them from the truth or from things you actually believe, and then go, oh, that's a weird thought that doesn't really mesh with my beliefs, you have to manually put it in there, because otherwise your brain just goes, yeah, I don't have a place for that. I'm just going to shove it in the box with all my beliefs. Yep. And then it yep. becomes true for you. Exactly. I'll give you a, a metaphor that may work. So I call this role-playing RX. And on every level in the book, there's one. And on the mental level, it's the horseback rider. And it's like our mind is this galloping horse, but we are the rider. We have re the reins. So it's like our mind is this galloping horse, but we have to be aware that we have the reins and we can go, whoa, when a thought comes in that we like don't want to like ride. And then we can redirect it, you know? So it's like our, we think so many thoughts, like thousands and thousands and thousands of thoughts, like a second, but it's having that dominion and being that observer and being that horseback rider and directing it in the way we want to go. Perfect. All right. And now is there sort of a secret sauce for pursuing goals without setting ourselves up for an expectation hangover? Because a lot of people, it's like, we're almost telling people like, set the bar low. You're just going to disappoint yourself. You know, like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Well, yeah, I actually call it the secret sauce for avoiding expectation hangover. Great. And it's pursuing our goals with high intention and involvement, but low attachment. Because the thing that really sets us uh, up for disappointment is our attachment, our emotional investment in it, right? So we have the goal, but then we put all this emotional investment of how it's going to make us feel, how it's going to make us feel worthy, like all of these things. And so the reason why we suffer so much with the disappointment is because we had so much riding on it. So if we pursue our goals with that high intention, like I, you know, having the right mind, the right focus and high involvement, doing everything that we can without totally depleting ourselves, but taking dominion over the things we can't control and surrendering the things we can't, then we can pursue our goals and we can know we gave it our all. But there's a sense of surrender that if it doesn't happen the way we thought it would happen, that it wasn't supposed to. No, so it's really watching our attachment to that, that emotional investment, that hoping that goal will make us worthy or, or whatever it may be that we're placing on it. And that way we can pursue our goals and we can actually enjoy the process because really like, you know, we only have each moment. And I think as a society, we live way too much in the future. And if we're only fixated on the outcome or end result, then we're missing out on so much enjoyment in the process. All right, back to the show. Okay, so how does the avoidance traps and the sort of like compensation or the oh, coping, coping strategies strategy, that right, don't work? Right, yeah. yeah. How does that... It seems really obvious, but how does that impact the ability to have what you really want? Because what if we do really want to have like a fun, cool life, then going out all the time and drinking and doing drugs with people is like a great way to achieve that in theory? Well, you just end up experiencing the same thing over and over again, right? If we don't change our behavior, we don't change our results. And also like, so as we grow, as we change our belief systems, heal emotions, upgrade our story and rewire our brain. Have you ever walked into a room and a group of people and like there was someone that you kind of just got a bad vibe from? Like you could just kind of feel they were off in some Yeah, way. sure. You, you might read their nonverbal communication or something like that and feel that, right. see that. Right. right. 
And so like we can kind of feel the energy of a person with their nonverbal. It shows up in nonverbal communication and just like their overall vibe, right? Sure. And and that person probably has some bad stories going on, some stuff they haven't healed. Like there's probably stuff going on inside of them that's creating that energetic that other people are interpreting as like, oh, I don't want to be around that, right? So it's like we don't have to be like, you know, super spiritual or in the woo-woo world to understand that we're like energetic beings. And our thoughts, our feelings, our all of the, our beliefs impact not only how we show up in the world, but what we are able to attract and create in our lives. So as we start to sort of clean up the clutter inside of us, we start to attract situations, people, even beliefs that are more in alignment with where we want to go versus where we've been. So as we change our behavior and stop doing the same stuff over and over and over and upgrade our behavior, we start getting different results. Okay, perfect. So what are some good coping strategies, maybe is a better way to phrase this, instead of just getting all you know, screwed up on substances, are there other ways to, to cope and deal? The, the first thing is really going through the emotional, mental, behavioral, and spiritual level of treating the expectation hangover. And coming back to what I said a little earlier, asking that question, you know, what am I learning from this? The sooner we like adopt a student and seeker perspective to life, the more we're going to start achieving results. The second thing is to really remember that control is a total illusion. We all are addicted to control. I think it's the master addiction, but we don't have control over every little thing. We have influence. We have free will. We have choice. We have, you know, we can make yes or no calls on things. However, we don't have control over everything. You know, life can throw us an unexpected curveball at any moment. So it's really being able to surrender as well and realize that things are not created in our comfort zone. So when dealing with any kind of expectation hangover or if you want any change in your life, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. You're not going to create new results by doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I hear so many times from people that they're waiting to feel sure about something or they're waiting not to feel scared. And Jordan, I don't know about you, but if I waited to not feel scared before I did a lot of the things that I've done, I never would have done anything. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so much I've right, done yeah. when I was like still scared. There's no there. There's moving forward, even in the face of insecurity, even in the face of fear, even in the face of doubt and like leaping out of those comfort zones and taking taking the risks. And I would say the, the final thing in this is coming into right relationship with ourself. And what I mean by that is our relationship with ourself is the only relationship we have 24 seven, 365 days a year. And I truly believe that it's the most important relationship we have because the better of a relationship we have with ourselves, the better we are to everyone else in our life. So that means your self-talk. You're, you're not like, a you don't have this terrible inner critic that's running all the time. Um, being reasonable and easy on ourselves, self-care, taking care of like our physical body and making personal growth and personal development of value. Most successful people I know who are successful in a way I really respect and that they show up in life with a great value system and they have incredible integrity have talked about all the personal growth work that they've done on themselves and not being a victim of anything in our lives, not getting out of that victim mentality and totally taking responsibility for everything that happens. Awesome. Okay, great. And what about expectation hangovers when it comes to stuff, things like that, like relationships and other folks in our lives yes. that are not us? 
Oh, other people. Well, one of my favorite things that I say is don't go to a Chinese restaurant when you really are craving nachos. Because I think the number one way we get disappointed with people is expecting them to be someone they're not. And in relationships, I see this come up a lot of, oh, well, I can just change that person. Or if I just teach them to be this way, like it will change. And we end up getting disappointment, disappointed because they're not showing up in the way that we want, but they weren't that way in the first place. You know, we're all of a sudden expecting them to be this Mexican restaurant when we want nachos, when really they only serve Chinese food. And then the other part of it is we project our own value systems, our own beliefs, the way we would deal with something like onto somebody else. So one of the main things that happens in relationships and either breakups or arguments or whatever, getting disappointed is when someone doesn't behave the way we wanted them to. And what that boils down to is they didn't behave the way we would have behaved in the same situation. So we project our own desires on someone else. Those become our expectations and we end up getting disappointed. So two things. Number one, accept people fully for who they are. Now, I think it's Maya Angelou who said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Believe yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> really believe them. Believe them. And number two, create agreements with people rather than expecting people in your life to be mind readers. Right. We call those covert contracts. What's like, if I'm just really nice to her a lot, she's eventually going to want to be my girlfriend. And then when she doesn't, because that's not, to- that's totally not normal or, or reasonable consequence of that, then the guy's like, I hate you, such a using bitch. And he like calls her drunk at 2 a.m. on like a random night on his birthday. And she's like, what the hell? I thought we were friends. Everything was fine yesterday. And you just emotionally vomit on those people. And I see that a lot in Hollywood, too, where it's like, you were supposed to do all this stuff for me. And it's like, what? I did not know that. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, be clear. Like, let's not expect other people to be mind readers. I mean, we, I almost think like there's some part of us that, you know, likes to create drama and like sets people up to fail. You know, it's like how many times, like, think about this. Anybody's listening, like, on be honest with yourself, truth moment. Have, like, you not told your partner something to see if they'd get it, you know? And it's like we, we often set the people we love up to fail rather to see if they, like, are mind readers rather than just being really, really clear about what we want. You know, I had a client who had a birthday coming up. She's in a new relationship. And she's like, I just, you know, I don't know if he knows it's my birthday, but I just want to see what he does because that will reflect to me his character. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Like, it's your first birthday. It's a new relationship. He's not a mind reader. He may not know. Like, why don't you actually share with him that it's your birthday instead of setting him up to fail and then allow him to like come forward in the best way possible. So still people are going to be thinking about all right, I got these feelings, I got these emotions, I suppress, I numb them, you gave me some positive habits. Is there anything else? Because I love actionable stuff. And I know you teach about kind of like dumping it all onto a page. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So actionable stuff is really good because emotion is like energy in motion, right? It moves. It needs a way out. I will allow you to use the word energy in that context. Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) All right. So a good way to get emotion out is to get some blank paper. And to do what's called release writing, which is not journaling. It's even faster than stream of conscious. You you get a piece of paper and you write like whatever you're feeling. Let's say you're feeling mad or pissed off or whatever. You just write, I'm mad because, and you just let it rip. And you'll notice that you're, you can't even write as fast as your thoughts. 
So it ends up looking like scribble and you just write, 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 write. And P.S. You do this by hand. You do not type because when we write by hand, that connects to our the right hemisphere of our brain, which is where emotion, creativity, all that stuff lives. So you want to write it by hand. And you write, 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 usually for a minimum of like 10 minutes, seven to 10 minutes, or until like you start to feel a shift in your energy. And then when it's done, you don't reread it. You burn it or rip it up into teeny tiny pieces and throw it away. I, I used to do this as a kid. I, you know, I'd be really mad at a teacher and I'd go and write like, I fucking hate Mrs. Engelbrecht and she's terrible and she's the worst and I want her to figure out how smart I am because she's an idiot. Ah, exclamation points for three pages. And then I'd be like, ah, right? And then I'd go play video games or something. Well, I, I hope Mrs. Engelbrooks is listening now because look how far you've come. I, I had, yeah, right. She'd be like, still the same jackass. Uh, I, <laughs> I actually had her again in high school. This is such a random, stupid story. Well, what happened is in middle school, she accused me of cheating on a paper because she's like, I know you're writing and there's no way you could have written this. It must be plagiarized. The principal got it because my mom was like, I watched him write this paper. He spent weeks researching it. It was a research paper. It was really, I mean, it was a really tough paper to write. You had to interview people and everything. And when you're in sixth grade, it's like next level yeah, impossible. A lot. So I did all of it. I read several books for it. I was not a reader. I wrote this paper. And she, one of her arguments was, aside from the fact that I, she thought I wasn't smart enough to have written it, I spelled the word defense, D-E-F-E-N-C-E, instead of D-E-F-E-N-S-E, because I was maybe reading it in a British book or spell check or let's be honest, defense and def it's spelled like defense. It's actually really logical to do that as a kid. So that was her main argument. And then I had her again in a writing class in high school and everything I wrote, she was like, this is really good. I, I have a feeling you didn't cheat on that paper in sixth grade, did you? And I was like, nope. Wow. And she apologized, uh, which meant nothing really for my grades back in middle school, although it was irrelevant. It was just really funny to have to become one of her favorite students after becoming easily her most hated pupil in middle school, um, which says a lot for how I changed. It must have been all that release writing, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah it must have, really must have been all that release writing. <laughs> I love it. That Talk about an expectation hangover. Knowing that you're smart and being unable to show people is, is really tough. I struggled with that for most of my oh, life. Oh, gosh. I think that's one of the most painful expectation hangovers that I'm really committed to helping people with is like feeling like you're not living into your full potential and feeling misunderstood or not really seen. And, you know, I, I know I can totally relate to that, too. It's just like that feeling of like not really being understood and not being seen who we truly are. Um, and the more we, we start to see ourselves that way, I think the more it starts to shift. And I also think you know, the, the word passion is a word that like gets tossed around a lot, when, especially when it comes to living into our potential. It's like, what am I passionate about? You know, to live in my potential, I want to do what I'm passionate about. And the actual original definition of the word passion is suffering. And over time, we've evolved it to mean like what we love the most. And I really think that often what we end up loving the most, like what we feel committed to doing, sort of like our, our career, our purpose, all that stuff often comes from the areas in which we suffered, you know? So like for people that are going on, what do I want to do with my life? Or what am I here for? Like, think of what you've struggled with. Think of what you've suffered and think of what you've gotten to the other side of. Because in a lot of ways, that's what we feel called to help other people do. Perfect. Thank you so much, Christine. I really appreciate it. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you definitely want to cover? Not that I can think of. You asked me great questions. Great. Thank you very much then. I appreciate it, your time and I appreciate your wisdom. All right, I hope you enjoyed that one. She did a great job. 
explaining things in a coherent way. I really enjoyed this one, and I think it is important. There is definitely a mindset shift between being a victim and being somebody who gets up and does it again and processes these negative emotions in a healthy way. Getting out of your own way can be really hard for a lot of us, but once we're able to do that, our potential really is unlocked. So I hope you guys dug this one. Show feedback and guest suggestions. The show is a fanarchy. It's run by you, and we rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. That's me. If you enjoy this, don't forget to thank our guest on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. Bootcamp details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And if you're listening to this but you're not subscribed, subscribe in iTunes, or we have our iPhone and Android apps, theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Those are both free, of course. And special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of this show. Please tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.